Well, good morning. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we ask you to open our hearts today as we look at the Church of Philadelphia, that we would apply the truths that you would have for us as a church and as individuals as well. There are any here today that don't know Christ as their Savior, that today they would realize their need for salvation. Dear Holy Father, be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. When we first started this series, and we're in the sixth week of this, I mentioned that each of the seven churches of Revelation can be looked at in three different ways. The first way was the practical way, just looking at the church in its context, in its time, and seeing what God had for them, examining that. And then there was the perennial way. This is the attributes that show up that for, are for all churches through time, different things we can learn from those different churches. And we've spent most of our time on those two directions of looking at these different churches. And we've, we've seen applications for our personal lives. We've seen application for our church as well. Areas where we need to grow. Areas is like last week where we need to repent in, in our lives. And then areas where we can be strengthened and we need to be strengthened within our church and ourselves. But there's one other way that I've not touched on as we've gone through this. Now, most of the time, it's been due to time. Just the amount of time to preach what is in the, in the text, and it didn't apply to us as much because it was mostly historical in nature and uh, didn't have as much application for us. Well, today, history is caught up with us. We are in the sixth church, and history is caught up to us, and we will see that these final two churches that we're going to look at today and next week, that it's where we are today. Where we are as a church in Cincinnati, Ohio, in the United States of America in 2023. Uh, there's the practical way, the perennial way, and this is the prophetical way. We're going to look at this prophetical way. The, this is the view of the churches as they map out that each of those churches shows the history of Christendom as it has gone along. As, as the churches have progressed, it also has the church as worldwide has progressed as well. And now let me explain that. The first one we looked at it was the church of Ephesus. This would be the post-apostolic church after the apostles, just right after they've passed off the scene. John is probably still alive during this time, but most of them have passed on to the, off the scene. They've, been, they've either been martyred or they have died. Um, this was, they were busy, as we saw, but they had lost their first love, and Jesus was waking them up. Then we move to Smyrna, the next church, and now this is where the Roman Empire was persecuting the church. We're in now about uh, 100 to 300 AD, and the church is being persecuted. We're seeing martyrdom in, in the different areas of the church, as Smyrna had. We keep moving on to the church of Pergamos. And Pergamos has now been accepted by the Roman Empire. Constantine comes into power, and with that, Constantine brings in Christendom into the, as the, the religion of the empire. And this is the patronized church. We talked about the doctrine of Balaam, and we talked about how money had influenced them, and we talked about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and how they had set up this priestly uh, mindset that is not found in the Word of God. 
So we have Pergamos, this patronized church. And then as it continues on, now are they just not accepted, but in Thyatira. Now we see them basically running the empire of Rome. And this is during the Dark Ages, and this is the the papal church where corruption has infiltrated into the church. This is where they are really preaching a false gospel, and we have that in Thyatira. Then as the Dark Ages go on, we get to the the church of Sardis. And we've gone through time now from the time the apostles have, have left the scene. And now we're passed through the Dark Ages and we're to the Reformation. And what happens in the Reformation? Protesting. And this is the Protestant church. This new era where they were, as we talked about last week, how they were, there were still some alive, and he told them to strengthen that. And that's what we see through time as, as now there are these Protestant churches that are breaking off and they are growing. Now, there's always been a Bible-believing church, but they have been persecuted through time. But now we have this group effort, this large building upon that in the time of Sardis. And that brings us to today. From that time, probably in the, uh, in the mid-1600s till today, we find ourselves in these final two churches, where we are today in 2023, Philadelphia and Laodicea. Philadelphia is a time that we will look at today of, of an open door. It is an open time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a time of open evangelism, uh, missionary efforts throughout the world. And then Laodicea, which we'll look at next week, is where the church has become lazy. They've become lukewarm, which we'll talk about a lot. And they've become worldly. And we are in between those two phases. That's my opinion. As we come to the church of Philadelphia, it's important to know where we are. This timeline is important. In many ways, we're at the close of the Philadelphia age here in America at least, and we're at the beginning of the Laodicean era. Now, if you were to go to uh, Africa, if you were to go to Central America, they are dead center. They are fully in the Philadelphia age. There are people where the gospel is taking root, lives are being changed, societies are being changed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, just as happened when America was founded. And as, we, as we've gone through the, through the 200 and some years of our country, as the gospel was allowed to be the foundation, the bedrock uh, of, of our lives. If you were to go to Europe today, where the gospel was in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, you now see someone that is squarely in the Laodicean era, in that age. Over the last two decades, I think we can easily look around America and see that we are quickly headed out of the Philadelphia age. We're not there yet, but we're heading there on a really fast pace. So let's learn from Jesus' letter of this church because it is a letter. I've been looking forward to this week. It is a letter of encouragement. Some of these last weeks, it's tough sledding, right? It's hard to preach. It's hard to listen to. But God was speaking to them, and he was trying to wake them up. And this is a day of encouragement. This is a day of instruction for us and how to stay in this Philadelphia age and how how to grow. And we're going to talk about this. So I call this the the church of opportunity. Chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. 
and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The church of Philadelphia. What does Philadelphia mean? Brotherly love, right? It's You go to the city of Philadelphia today, uh, the big love, love, uh, what is that, statue, I guess, uh, work of art there. It means brother, brotherly love. Now, this word brotherly love, its root of that is used some seven times in the New Testament. This church was about 28 miles south of the church we were at last week, Sardis, uh, and it was named, just to give you a little history of it, it was named after the king of Pergamum, and his name was Attalus II Philadelphus. That's a good name, right? Italus Philadelphus. So Philadelphia comes out of that. But when, he, when we learn about this city, there's two specific things that really apply to what Jesus says that we need to know about this city. The first one is that it was near fault lines. And in fact, it was destroyed by earthquakes several times. And at this point, it had just been rebuilt in 17 AD, just a, just a few decades before uh, this, this letter was written. The second thing we need to know about this is it was built on a crossroads from east to west. And with this city, it was put there by the king on purpose. Now, he used it for, we'll use the term, missionary work. Now, not spiritual missionary work, but he had built this to teach and to take the Greek culture to the heathens, would be their term. The Greek culture, the civilization to the barbarians, and you would think of this, they call that Hellenization. So this is Hellenistic evangelism is what they were doing. They're trying to take this culture to the rest of the world at this crossroads. And both of those characteristics are going to be important for us to understand what Christ is saying in his comments to them. But let us begin in verse 7. Verse 7, we see the authority of Christ. And Jesus speaks to the church in Philadelphia. And as I said, he is now speaking words of encouragement. And he's speaking words of commendation to them. We only see a little bit of that in other churches. Last week, we saw none of that. Remember that church, everything was get your act together. This one we're seeing encouragement and commendation. Now, how does the Lord describe himself this week? And remember, every week, Jesus describes himself a specific way. If you've been coming to this, you understand what we're... He would describe himself as an attribute about himself that is needed to help that church. So how does he describe himself this week? How does he describe himself for the church of Philadelphia? He says three things about himself. He's holy. He is true. And he has the key of David. Holy, true, and the key of David. 
And we will see here that Jesus comes as the one, the one who is holy and true. Holy. He is pure. He is just. He is righteous. He is the one that declares to us in the word of God, be ye holy. Why? For I am holy. He is holy and therefore wants us to be holy as well. He also is true. Jesus is the author of truth. Let that sink in. He is the author of truth. And more than just the author, he declares himself that he is truth. He is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the very essence of truth. There is no truth outside of Jesus Christ. Now, you might have come here today, you might be watching this later on, and I'm not sure what your worldview is. But thinking that truth is relative, thinking that truth is something that depends on the situation or the person, you can think that as much as you want. You can, you can live in that, but it does not hold up to scrutiny. It will not hold up to the, the definitions of, from the Word of God. It will hold, not hold up to just the world around you. God defined truth. He set the framework of this world. And it really isn't up to negotiation. We can talk about it all we want. But He was the one that has set the foundation of the world. You can fight it. You can rename it. You can redefine it if you want to. But you are beating your head against the wall. Because God is truth. And He tells us this. Jesus is holy and He is true. And it is when we put our holiness and we put the holiness together with truth, that therefore we, we see right doctrine that is produced for us to live our lives. And that's important, that we know the holiness and the truth of God. But he also tells us something that will relate to the rest of what he's saying here, is that he holds the key of David. Now, that's a term we don't read very often. He's, Jesus is alluding uh, to um, Isaiah twenty-two twenty-two. He's, he's uh, the door that only he can open and only he can shut. And if you go to Isaiah 22, 22, uh, King Hezekiah has a prophet, Eliakim, uh, and he is said to have the key of David's been placed on his shoulder. Now, what does that mean? Eliakim here is, was the equivalent at that point of the prime minister of Judah. This key of David was meant that everything... Everything in the kingdom went through him. He saw everything. He approved everything. Everything went through him. He had ultimate control. He had ultimate power. Very similar to how uh, we would have had uh, Joseph in the, in the Old Testament, how he would have been the prime minister over Egypt. But this is over God's people. And he has the key of David. He has absolute authority. And this is the picture that Jesus Christ is painting for them, that Jesus Christ's power is the absolute authority. And if you go back to, to chapter 1, remember Jesus had described himself there as well. And here he describes that key. And he says there in verse 18 that he has the keys of hell and of death. Jesus controls the key of hell and of death. Therefore, he has the power over life, and he has the power over death. Remember, he is the way, the truth, and the life. What's the rest of that verse? No man cometh unto the Father but by me, he says. 
Only through Jesus Christ. He has the keys of life and death for you and for me and for every person that's ever lived on this earth. And Jesus says here that he has opened the door to reach people. Why? To reach them with the gospel of his salvation. And no one can close it but him. And that's important to know. Because today, that door is wide open. If you're a person that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the door of salvation is open. You just need to accept Christ as your Savior. It is there and you need to listen and you need to respond. But there is a day that is coming that we will see the door will be closed. And we don't know when that will be, but the door will be closed at some point. So we see here the author, the authority of Christ, and it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It could be with Philadelphia and what was going on back there in that time frame around 90-some A.D., and the, the uh, pagan rituals that were going on. It could be that time, or it could be today in our secular society. It doesn't matter. It, God is still in control. He is still the one that has the power and the ability to bring about His will in our lives. And we need to know that, and we need to hold on to that fact in our life. Now, how does he do that? Well, he does it through us. He does it through us, his church. God has given you and I the ability and the the responsibility to be his church, to carry out his will. And we see here the ability given to Christians. Verses 8 and 9, let's read those again. He says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it, for thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. We'll just read verse 8 there. Now remember, I said that Philadelphia was at this crossroads of east and west for the purpose of taking that culture. Now this isn't a hard uh, analogy to figure out, is it? this comparison with this, this city and versus this church. We have a church that God has placed where it was for a specific purpose. They had missionary endeavors. They had evangelistic purposes for that church. And guess what? It is no different for Friendship Baptist Church. We're located exactly where God would have us to be located. We are at a crossroad. We're just less than an eighth of a mile from Coleraine High School. We sit at the junction of both uh, I-275 and I-74 and Ronald Reagan Highway. In fact, some 53,000 cars, that's that's a decade-old statistic, some 53,000 cars go by our church on Cross County, Ronald Reagan Highway, every day. You ask somebody, hey, where do you, they ask you where do you go to church, you say, I go to Friendship Baptist Church, where's that at? Oh, you know that church on Cross County Highway that you... And you always explain it that, right? You can see us along the highway. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen your sign. You know, something of that nature. God has placed us here in this specific location. He has put us in a place that is becoming more and more multi-ethnic and multicultural. And we are a church that has been placed at this crossroads for a purpose. Do we believe that? Well, two or three of us do. Do we believe that? Yeah. Guess what? You have been placed where you are supposed to be as well. You are at a crossroads in your neighborhood, in your school, and in your workplace. You don't have to go to a foreign land, and if God's called you to do that, you need to go. But you need to just walk outside, and you are at the crossroads of where God has placed you in life. 
Now, I want you to see here the promises made to the church in Philadelphia and to us. He says, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it. Jesus, the one with absolute authority, the one holding the key of David, has opened this door for us. Let's look at a couple things. What, what does the open door mean? Well, let's look at some scripture. 1 Corinthians 16, 9, Paul says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. 2 Corinthians 2.12. Furthermore, this is when he was wanting to go up north to preach, but God tells him to go into Europe. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Colossians 4.3. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. Why? To speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. In Acts chapter 14. And verse 27, and when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed what? All that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith, amen, for us unto the Gentiles. So we see consistently through the New Testament, as we use the Bible to define the Bible, to explain the Bible, an open door is a reference to the sharing, the, sharing Christ, sharing the gospel, evangelism, and missions. So that's what we see when he says he has opened this door for us. The purpose of it is to spread the gospel, to be a gospel witness to those around us. And there is an opening for us to be this witness. It doesn't mean we're not going to have pushback. It doesn't mean that uh, everything's going to go great for us. But it does mean this, that God has opened the hearts of men and women and boys and girls to hear the word of God and to come to know Christ as their Savior. And let's see some things about this that we need to realize about this open door. The first is this. We need to see the opportunity. I realized I was talking 100 miles an hour. Tony, I'm slowing down for you, bud. All right? His hands are lighting up on fire there. All right? <laughs> we need to see the opportunity. Now, I could get up here, and probably have, and just talk about woe is me, woe is our country, that mentality every week. Is there enough in the news that we could do that every week? Sure. And it always has been that way, by the way. It's not, it's not different now than it was 40 years ago and, and 80 years ago. It's just a different sin at a different time and in a different generation. Yet Jesus tells us to do something different. He tells us to lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. We need to see the opportunity. There were problems in Philadelphia, and there are problems here today as well. But we need to look up. We need to look around and see the problems or the opportunities to reach people for, with Jesus Christ. This community, Coleraine, Ohio, where you live, be it just the edge of, of Kentucky or just the edge of Indiana. And you know what? That is a decision on each of our parts. That's a decision on us as a church, and it is a heartbeat that we need to have. Seeing that opportunity, not just looking always inward. So first, see the opportunity. Next, we need to go on the offensive. So many churches I see today, they're just sitting there hunkering down like we've got to hold on to our culture. We've just got to hold on, hold on to our ground here. No, 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 no. We need to be on the march. Onward, Christian soldiers, right? 
That wasn't onward, Christian, to my pew and to just hunker down here. That is onward to go into our society, to reach people with Jesus Christ, not just standing up to the wrongs of society, but the best way to reach them. And the best way to reach people to enter is to, to change our society is to introduce people to Jesus Christ. You want to change the world around you? Introduce people to Jesus Christ. Because once they have been saved and once Christ has come into their life, God works from the inside and he works his way out, right? And our thoughts begin to change. Our appetites begin to change. We think different. And we need to take the gospel, not just here in our, in our lessons and in our, in our preaching. We need to take the gospel to the streets. Invite your friends to come to church, and I hope you will. But the most effective way, the biblical way, is to actually reach them in their homes. To have them in your homes and speaking to them and going out into our schools and going out into our workplaces and onto our ball fields and whatever it might be. Don't hunker down like you're just trying to wait out a storm. But we need to go out. We need to be the witness that God would have us to be because God has opened the door and no one can shut it. He continues on. We need to follow, not just see the opportunities, but we need to follow God's opportunities. I heard this quote this week I loved. It says, we are not looking for opportunities. We are looking at opportunities. It's not going about looking, how can I do something? How can I conjure up some opportunity that I can serve the Lord? Rather, it's the opposite of that. It is looking at what God has opened and going with him. And being where he is and going at those opportunities that God has provided. God is working around you. And I hope you really believe this. Because this requires us to stop and look and pay attention to around, around us. Look where God is working in your every day. Those people that God put in your path today. A uh, great example of this is Brother Salman in Thailand. He told me where he lives in Bangkok, he can go out on a street corner with Bibles and tracts, and he could do that every day for months. The same street corner, passing out tracks, and he could go there every day for several months and never see the same person twice. It's just such a massive city. But that mentality, those are the people that God put in his path that day. Now, you probably do see the same people a lot, a lot of the times. But you maybe you go to UDF and there's a new guy that you've never seen before. The workplace, a new, a new uh, vendor comes in or whatever it might be. And God has placed people in your path for this week. Maybe your daily routine got changed. <laughs> right? Ah! The day didn't go like I planned it. Yeah, welcome to life. That's, that's just how it works. Maybe God changed your path this week for a reason. Look up. Look for God's opportunities. Because all too often we spend our time trying to generate opportunities. And we need to have more, a more spiritual mindset and more spiritual vision of what is going on around us. That random conversation with the, the, the person at work or the person at school that starts to speak of the Lord or a spiritual situation in their life or a deep need in their life. That's an opportunity that God is opening to you to be the Christian that you are. Not taking advantage of people. I don't mean that at all. 
But the Lord has put you in their life to be there for them, to show them the love of Christ, and to share with them the need of salvation. We need to follow where God is working. And we, that means we might need to adjust. Ooh, imagine that, right? And I am, I am really preaching to myself here, so don't, <laughs> not so much. We have to adjust our life. It means that as a church, we might have to adjust our ministries, the finances of how those ministries function, so that we are going where God would have us to go, and we need to do that. He f- leads, we follow. The fourth one there, we need to be of one mind. As a church, with this open door, we need to be of one mind. The Apostle Paul tells the Philippians that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Doing what? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Jesus was speaking in in Revelation here. I am sure he is speaking to the church, to the group of people. I have set before thee an open door. This is most assuredly speaking to this church. The leaders for sure. And when we are in one spirit and one mind, working together toward the common goal of reaching others, discipling others for Jesus Christ, God will give the increase in that. And when we work together and have that one mind, we are a force to be reckoned with. As I was thinking about this, I was, uh, I was thinking about like horses and oxen and donkeys and uh, how they, you have one horse, it is what? How much power does one horse have? Yeah, there you go, good. One horsepower, right? That's where that came from, all right? I think we figured that out, right? So the thought is one horsepower. So if I take two horses and put them together, say I'm plowing a field, never plowed a field in my life, all right? But we're gonna take two horses and we're gonna put those together. You would think that would be two horsepower, or put three, three horsepower. But in fact, as you do the studies on that, it's more than that. If you put two oxen together, you put two horses together, and you send them out there to work, what one could do and another one could do, and you double that, it's more. They can do more together, more than two horsepower together than they could separate. I don't know why that is, but they can. And that that comes together. And these are just brute force animals. We are not. We are God's children. And we have the Lord in us. And we combine that forces together. He will use us to transform lives around us. Stuff that none of us could do on our own. But we can do together if we are striving together. But here's the thing with that. Each of us have to accept a place of responsibility. If we come together with one mind, that means each and every one of you in here today, if you are a member of Friendship Baptist Church, you have to accept a place of responsibility in this effort of this church that God has placed here. Every ministry in this church, every activity in this church is a link in a chain that reaches someone with the gospel, that helps someone that is growing in their faith. We talk about our theme of following a Christ example as we connect, grow, serve, and share. We do that with purpose. One mind coming together. 
I've heard of testimonies in the last few months of, of a greeter that the reason that family continued to come was because that greeter had accepted this and uh, this responsibility and they continued to come just because of the love that greeter was giving them. Nursery workers that showed kindness that helped lead a young single mom to Christ. Children's workers, youth workers. The stories could go on and on with those. Senior adults that have come here looking for friendship, looking for healing, and through that kindness of our folks have been accepted, have received love, and accepted Christ and started to grow in their walk. This week I heard of one kind of a kindness and honesty of some of our members uh, that they were out in the community. And it provided an opportunity for them to hear about Jesus Christ because of that kindness and honesty of the folks. That's accepting that. That's being part of it. We go to our school teachers and our business owners and our classmates and on and on it goes. Because we are a team, we are a body, and we are the family of God that God has placed here at Friendship Baptist Church. And we need to be on the offensive, taking the gospel through the open door that the Lord has provided for us. The last one we see here is we need to work while the door is open. We need to work while the door is open. There's an urgency about our work. And next week we'll see Laodicea that they've lost all that urgency. They've even lost the concern and the care about it. You say, why... Why are you preaching so fast? Why, why, do you, why, do you, why, do you, uh, why are you concerned about that? Why are the teachers so, always uh, want to be in the Word and they want you to understand? Because there's an urgency. We do not know how long we will be here. Individually, we do not know how many opportunities that we will have as well. And the Lord has opened the door for us. And He has given us enough Scripture to know that that door will not be open forever. There is coming a day in which the Lord's long-suffering with mankind will end. And His return is imminent. It will happen. In my lifetime, as in some of you, I have watched a closed door in Russia become an open door for a period of time and now closed again. That's in my short period of time on earth. Countries that used to send missionaries are now closed to the gospel. And it isn't a time for us to dilly-dally and spend our time worrying about and discussing minutiae. It is a time that it is to get to work because God has opened this door. And it is an opportunity. What an opportunity that God would allow you and I to represent Him, to share Christ with others around us. That you can lead a friend, a family member, or just a an acquaintance to the Lord. Why would he allow us to do that? But yet that is what God has given us the ability to do. And as we look through here, we should not be worried about how we're going to accomplish it. Because a lot of us, honestly, we're like, how in the world am I going to share Christ with someone? How am I going to be a witness to somebody? How am I going to disciple someone? And we're like, I, I, I don't have the ability. I don't have the strength. And he knows that. He says there in verse 8, for thou hast a little strength. And has kept the word and has not denied my name. You have a little strength. Agreed? The older you get, the more you realize how little strength you actually have. And this almost sounds like a put down, but in actuality, he is encouraging them. 
He's encouraging them. You might be little in number. You might not financially be strong. You might not be of a noble class. But yet God is using you. And you have been faithful. Because Jesus tells his disciples, he, in that verse he says, I will build my church. Right? When he's speaking to them. I will build my church. Now there's some stuff before and after that. But the context I want you to see here is, God is the one whose church it is. This is his church. We are members of it. We are members of the body of Christ. And it says, I will build my church. I don't have to worry about how it's going to happen. I just need to be diligent. I need to be faithful in that. And God will build it. Because the last time I checked, the Lord is not short of ability or resources. I might be, but the Lord is not. He will accomplish his will. And we get to go along for the ride. We get to be part of that. And we may have little strength, but I can assure you that God has great strength. Remember the uh, song we used to teach? Well, we still do. Teach our kids. My God is so big. What is it? So strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Oh, come on. Yeah, you got to go there. It's true. My God is so big. He's so strong and he's so mighty. And we need to remind ourselves of that occasionally. I need to remind myself of that occasionally. Uh, I know I uh, mentioned this gentleman a few uh, months back, but the great missionary William Carey, he was convinced of this. This young man, he, he had a vision to take the gospel into the rest of the world. He goes before this Baptist association that's, being, that's been uh, led by some of the uh, more elite of the English, uh, English church there. And uh, he mentions what he wants to do. And the older moderator says to him, can you imagine sitting in this building, sitting in this meeting, a young man says, I want to take the gospel to India. I want to, I want to share uh, the word of God with them. I want to see lives transformed. And here's what the man said. Sit down. Sit down, young man. When God wants to convert the heathen, he will do it without your help or mine. Sit down. What? Now that is completely foreign to us. But that was the mindset. And Carrie didn't sit down because he believed that God had the resources to do that. And although his group was little in strength, he was able to form this faithful group of Christians called the Baptist Missionary Society, the first of its kind, sending missionaries out and sending Kerry to India where the gospel was spread and really set the world ablaze with missions. The Lord has opened a door for us overseas and right here, Corinne High School, the friendship co-op that happens. Name your school. God has put us right here. And we will follow the Lord into victory, the victory that he has promised. Do you have a place of service? It might be a prayer warrior for our church. Say, I can't do anything. I can't get up. My body won't allow me to do that anymore. Can you pray for folks? Can you pray for those folks that we're going to be passing out tracks to every one of those doors today? Can you, get, can you be here on your feet to help carry those? Can you help prepare those things? Can you speak to your neighbors? Do you have a place of service? Are you co-laboring with your brothers and sisters here in this community? Or do you see it as someone else's responsibility? We're in a bad shape when, it comes, when the majority of our church would come to that mindset. And I don't believe we are. But if your mindset is it's someone else's responsibility, 
We've moved from Philadelphia to Laodicea. And that's not where we're at. That's not who friendship is. And no matter your age or your ability, we need you to join in the battle. Just a couple minutes left here. God makes some promises to us that I'll just mention real quick to us. He made some to Philadelphia, makes them to us. The award, of, the award with confidence here we see, there's two phrases that stick out. In verse 10 he says, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon the whole world. Verse 11, I come quickly. There are promises here speaking to us about the last days. I come quickly. He's speaking of the last days. The days that will be when the Lord returns. And as we venture ever closer to that Laodicean age, it will only be a matter of time before the Lord returns. We have, to, we have to believe that. And what does that mean for us as Christians? Verse 10 tells us with, in several other places in the New Testament as well that the Lord will keep us from the great tribulation. That's a promise. I want you to serve. The, oh, the door is open. There might be some persecution in your life. There might be some lost opportunities in your life. But the door is open. But I'm going to keep you from this great tribulation. 1 Thessalonians describes, it, describes the rapturing of the church when we are removed from this world. It says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then us. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Later on in the next chapter, he says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath. In the Old Testament, there's the picture of God and Noah. And Noah tells him to build an ark. And he brings his family inside that ark. And prior to the judgment that was going to fall upon the earth, they are saved from that tribulation that's going to occur. It's a picture of what's going to be unleashed on the earth, but it's also a picture of the saving of God, the removal, the rapture of you and I before this tribulation comes. He calls it here the hour of temptation, and it is coming quickly. Once again, the need for urgency in our message but here we see the promise from the Lord. You might face some persecution. It might be uncomfortable. It might be opportunities that you wish you had, and now because of who you are, you've lost that. I heard someone this last week that left their job because they were skipped over, over and over and over again, and they were told it was because of their Christian faith. Now, that's a lawsuit, obviously, in America, but nonetheless, that's what happened in their life. And God tells us here that that might happen right now, but you will be saved from the hour, the true tribulation that's going to come upon this earth. When God's long-suffering is gone, and He is now time to take His wrath upon this earth. And here's where that picture of Philadelphia being built on an earthquake area comes into play. This city was destroyed over and over again, but God is, is telling us that we're going to be living in a city with Him forever. Those who were, have rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will remain on this earth. And if you don't know the Lord is your Savior, you will remain during that tribulation. That is, the that is why you need to know Christ as your Savior. But Jesus Christ tells us there is no need to flee because you will be with me. 
eternal security with the Lord forever. And he keeps driving this point home. Verse 12, he tells him that you'll be a pillar in the temple of my God. In the city of Philadelphia, the people of importance were put, their names were put on pillars inside the temples. So it's a sort of a play on that. And, but he says to this world that was crumbling around them, he says this, thou shalt go no more out. You shall go no more out. You will be with me forever. There is security in that. Now, some of us, we, might be, we feel like we might be a long way away from the time to need that, but we don't know. And God tells us we will be with him. And he says, I will write, my, write upon him the name of my God. Just as the high priest would put that golden plate with the Lord's name on his forehead, identifying himself with the Lord. We see God identifies us here with the temple of God. He identifies us with himself. It says there we will be identified in his city, New Jerusalem. And then finally it says, verse, we will be identified with his new name. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Revelation 19.12. Friendship, we have to rise to the occasion. This is an encouraging message. May we rise to the occasion and follow the Lord through the open door that's been set before us. It's there for us. But we must look, lift our eyes up and see it and be willing to walk through it. Because our future is secure. Nothing can happen to us. The worst that can happen is I will be with the Lord forever in eternity. And I will be with Him with that security knowing that I will be blessed of Him. Now you may be here today and you, have not, you don't believe a word I'm saying. And the Bible spoke of you some 2,000 years ago. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he wrote this, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto the fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also, and the work that, there, that are therein shall be burned up. Friend, don't hold on to your pride foolishly. Don't hold on to that. The Lord has left this door open for you. But His long-suffering will not be forever. It says there He is not willing that any should perish. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And when the Lord comes, that way of escape that you have now will be gone. Will you accept Christ as your Savior? I encourage you as our time of invitation comes, that you come and speak to one of our altar workers, speak to me after the service, and we will open the Word of God with you and show you how you can accept Christ as your Savior. It will change your eternity. And Christians, Friendship Baptist Church, let us be the Church of Philadelphia. 
Let us see this door open. Be willing to be one-minded, looking for the opportunities that God has for us. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, this encouraging uh, church that you have left for us in the, the city of Philadelphia. Help us to see the open door that you've set before us, that we would be part of that. We, we would be willing to come together. I thank you for the ministry and opportunities of this church and the heartbeat of our folks, but help us to ever be mindful. That is a decision on our part to continue each day to decide to serve you. I ask you to be with those that don't know Christ as their Savior today, that they would realize their need for salvation. And realize that through Jesus Christ, you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. That he, would t- he died in, in our place. Dear Heavenly Father, I hope us to accept that. Be with us now in our time of invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.